Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome from Newsbusters, where we have Free Speech America, which reviews how Facebook and Twitter and all of the social media are manipulated by the left to shut down the conservatives. This has been a big weekend for people on this beat because uh, Elon Musk released some of what they call the Twitter files to a journalist named Matt Taibbi. Now, Matt Taibbi, to many of us, is, is remembered not so fondly as a uh, rakish, radical leftist who wrote for Rolling Stone. He had just about as cred- much credibility at Rolling Stone as... I don't know, Keith Olbermann? I mean, he was uh, he was just a raging satirist, I guess, would be the best thing to me you could call him. Uh, but he has sort of, uh, through all the collusion gate, like Glenn Greenwald's kind of sort of come over to the so-called dark side. Uh, I guess like Elon Musk himself, who used to be seen as a, uh, you know, an electric car guru. He would have been seen as on the other side. But the release of these documents that they call the Twitter files was a big event on the conservative media, which meant it was a non-event for the liberal media. And this was supposed to happen on Friday night. I think it was supposed to happen around 6, and then it didn't. It took a little bit more time. So it sort of missed the evening news zone. If you had wanted to uh, extra credit embarrass the network news, Um, To do it late on Friday night wasn't optimal. But Musk's release of these documents just goes back to put the spotlight on how Twitter in 2020 sat on the Hunter Biden laptop scoop of the New York Post. That they shut down the New York Post Twitter account for 17 days which it could obviously be called election interference. Their reaction to the idea that Donald Trump won the 2016 election through some sort of foreign election interference, what was going on here was sort of counter-election interference because they just had to make sure that Donald Trump didn't win again. MRC founder and president Al Brent Bozell praised Elon Musk for making these internal operations transparent to the public. Bozell, colon, Twitter sabotaged the 2020 elections. A big thank you to Elon Musk for releasing more information about this. The American people deserve to know the truth. We're supposed to get more on this now. Barry Weiss, formerly of the New York Times editorial staff, someone else who's sort of now become seen by the left as an outcast, has also been granted some access to these Twitter files. What we've learned so far, our Joseph Vasquez was reporting some of this on Friday night as it unfolded. This was kind of juicy. Former Twitter legal executive Vijaya Gaddy and former Twitter head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, were both involved in the decision to censor the Hunter Biden story. In one shot, Roth claimed the policy basis is hacked materials. 
Though as discussed, this is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear. Given the severe, in all caps, severe, risks here and lessons of 2016, that's the crucial part. We are erring on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. Twitter trust and safety had to squash something because they they thought it might be hacked. They had no proof it was hacked, and it was not hacked. We all know now it was not hacked. But Yoel Roth, as Joey points out, Roth had a past statement of wantingly smearing Trump's administration as being staffed by Nazis. There were Nazis in the White House. As for Vijaya Gaddy, she left Twitter to join the Biden administration in fighting, guess what? Misinformation. Isn't that convenient? On this thread, Matt Taibbi said, Twitter comms official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking the New York Post story as unsafe. On top of that, Former VP of Global Communications Brandon Borman asks, can we truthfully claim that this is part of the policy about unsafety? The policy basis for this censorship reportedly didn't hold weight. One former employee said they just freelanced it. Hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold. But no one had the guts to reverse it. Remember that a big part of the pressure here now on Twitter and on the social media was coming from the so-called news media. This has been the pattern throughout the Trump era. Remember, the social media were seen as a wonderful force to help Obama reach the young, hip voters when Twitter and Facebook came up under Obama. They were a positive force. The minute it seemed to be helping Trump and Breitbart, etc., then it became an evil set of media companies that had to be, you know, lectured and disciplined. Now, our folks at MRC Free Speech America did a big analysis in April utilizing our sensor track database. What they found was 646 examples of how big tech went to protect President Biden from his critics. This number included 140 documented cases of users, including lawmakers, news outlets, media personalities, and groups, being censored on Twitter and other platforms for sharing anything related to the Hunter Biden laptop scoops. Twitter didn't only lock down the Post's account for 17 days, Twitter slapped a warning label on the GOP House Judiciary Committee's website for linking to the New York Post report. Now, as we've pointed out several times, as you should be familiar with right now, a 2020 poll commissioned by the Media Research Center found that 45% of Joe Biden's voters weren't fully aware of the New York Post story. And that's because big tech and their media Censors whitewashed it. Had, had Americans been fully aware of the scandal, the poll showed, 9.4% of Biden voters would have abandoned Biden. This 
could have flipped all six of the swing states that Biden won to Trump. Trump could have ended up with 311 electoral votes. This is precisely why, I think you can argue, that the Twitter execs were going to put the kibosh on the New York Post. This was not going to be a story the networks wanted to touch. They were going to treat this as, ew, it's a Fox News story. It's a Newsmax story. It's a Washington Times story. Our Alex Christie works Saturdays, and he noted the Saturday morning show skipped it. But NBC's Today did find time for a story on Elon Musk. Oh, yes. He's responsible for a rise in hate speech on Twitter. This is them basically Xeroxing a story from the New York Times. Steve Patterson reports... While the focus has been on Kanye West's suspension for being anti-Semitic, researchers are warning that hate speech and harassment has increased dramatically since Elon Musk took over the platform, and they worry that while one man is being pushed out, a wave far worse is being ushered in. Patterson said, while the suspension of ye from the platform has captured the headlines, Hundreds of Twitter accounts belonging to far-right activists and QAnon theorists have been reinstated, according to data reviewed by NBC News. Now, I'm going to say, according to data handed to NBC News by a bunch of left-wing wackadoos. What the New York Times reports that Patterson at NBC did not were the specific numbers for tweets targeting black Americans. It rose from... 1,282 to 3,876. Neither NBC or the New York Times pointed out that's out of 867 million total tweets per day. Not exactly a high percentage. Or as Alex puts it, the idea that Twitter is a racist hellscape is sensationalism. Yes, indeed. And sensationalism is what liberal media outlets do. Don't trust people on Twitter. Trust trust the New York Times. Now, there is the, uh, you know, in addition to the networks not covering this, the PBS NewsHour wasn't covering it. Um, (laughs) Washington Week on Friday night comes on at 8 o'clock after this scoop. Who knows? Maybe they recorded at 5. But the whole show could have just been sent DNC Week in Review. Let's all talk about how they changed the Democrats' primary schedule and they have, ooh, a change in the House Democratic leadership and, ooh, the Republicans are in trouble. Just the topic selection on these shows just shows you Washington Week is Liberal Week. NPR's All Things Considered is Liberal Things Considered. It took the Washington Post about 24 hours to acknowledge the Twitter files. Their headline on a story was Elon Musk's Twitter files ignite divisions but haven't changed minds. Oh, yes. Nobody's mind has been changed, so pay no attention. Isn't that clever? Yes, the reporters are Fez Siddiqui and Kat Zakreski. Kat and Fez began... It was billed as a bombshell. 
Elon Musk, after rifling through his new company's internal files, would finally expose how Twitter engaged in quote-unquote free speech suppression in the critical run-up to the 2020 election. Yes, they put free speech suppression in scare quotes. Clearly, if Twitter had shut down the Washington Post Twitter account or the New York Times Twitter account for 17 days in the last days of a campaign, I don't think they'd be using quotation marks around free speech suppression. We all know that the New York Times and the Washington Post think the First Amendment was just for them. It's not really for newsbusters and people who think the New York Times and the Washington Post are a bunch of left-wing hacks. No, that's enemy of the people remarks. That's hate speech. You can't criticize the media. That kind of free speech suppression, they like at the newspapers. Cat and Fez. The story continues. But by the time the dust settled Saturday, even some conservatives were grumbling that it was a dud. Musk's Twitter files produced no smoking gun showing that the tech giant had bent to the will of Democrats. Huh? No, I can see where you would say, oh, I wanted a better smoking gun than this. But to try to say there was no proof Twitter bent to the will of Democrats? Oh, we sat on the New York Post, we banned them from Twitter for 17 days, but there's no evidence that's what the Democrats wanted? Are they high over there? The, the medical marijuana? Woo! The super aggressive censorship had the effect of creating a massive warning. Danger! Misinformation! The Post duo also turned to Jamil Jaffer, a professor who worked for 14 years at the American Civil Liberties Union. They're still pretending he's for the First Amendment. He works for the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University. But, of course, he is going to be poo-pooing this story. I'm not persuaded these are anything close to a bombshell, said the Bush administration hater. Now, the post-duo elided the point that Team Biden lied about Biden meeting with Hunter's clients, including the Ukrainian ones. I mean, this is what they do. You know, they present this as, well, there's a bunch of misinformation. They, they're not willing to do the most elementary thing here, which is the verified contents of the laptop show Biden is a liar when he said, Hunter and I never discussed business. It's quite apparent. We know by now. There was a lot of connections between Hunter's clients and Joe Biden. You can see the photographs of Joe Biden appearing with Hunter's clients. It's like, it's like again, it's like seeing, here's Donald Trump next to Stormy Daniels, and Trump would say, I never met the woman. That's, that's the level that Joe Biden's at here. But they're still stuck in this mode of misinformation. The way the Post report said it was, Biden's campaign at the time and Hunter Biden's lawyer denied such a meeting occurred with a Ukrainian executive. The White House has pointed to these previous denials, which the Washington Post has examined in detail. The Post later confirmed the veracity of thousands of email from, emails from the device, citing experts, and used it as a basis to explore other business arrangements that Hunter Biden pursued in China. Yeah. So they're just sort of acknowledging, well, yeah, the Washington Post has a story saying the laptop contents are real. 
but they're not really connecting the dots. You know, the Washington Post, they're supposed to be the geniuses that connect the dots, unless connecting the dots just is inconvenient. But at least this Washington Post story included a quote from Musk on the media coverage. Rather than admit they lied to the public, they're trying to pretend this is a nothing burger, Musk said. Shame on them. Yes, indeed. This whole story in the Post tried to suggest it was a nothing burger. Then the New York Times was even slower than the Washington Post. They waited until Sunday. And then the online headline was, Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, and a very modern media maelstrom. In Monday's paper, the headline was, Musk and an independent journalist ignite debate by releasing the Twitter files. Now, they put this story on page B5. Remember when Brent Shear and I on Friday were joking about how they always bury stuff on B6 or A30? Yep, that's what they did here. And notice Joe Biden and Hunter Biden aren't in the New York Times headlines. There's a media maelstrom. There's an ignited debate, but it's not around the Bidens. The New York Times report began, It was on the surface a typical example of reporting the news. A journalist obtains internal documents from a major corporation, shedding light on a political dispute that flared in the waning days of the 2020 presidential race. But when it comes to Elon Musk and Twitter, nothing is typical. The so-called Twitter files, released Friday evening by the independent journalist Matt Taibbi, set off a firestorm among pundits, media ethicists, and lawmakers in both parties. It also offered a window into the fractured modern landscape of news where a story's reception is often shaped by readers' assumptions about the motivations of both reporters and subjects. Now, this isn't really a story about how the story was received. It was about how a story was suppressed. It's the story of a so-called news media telling everyone to be completely incurious about these documents about Biden's involvement in his son's buck-raking and international lobbying operations. We're just kind of giggling or scoffing or scoff-giggling at the idea that this was merely a political dispute. No, it was naked censorship on the part of Twitter. Oh, it's a private sector company. So is the rest of the media. So that when they all suppress something, well, yes, they're private corporations. But they're all doing it in league with the Biden campaign, you know, government officials who hate Trump, former governor of government officials that hate Trump. It's a grand conspiracy, all right. And then there's the censorship denial. Once again, the way that they do these stories, where the New York Times said, Mr. Musk, who has accused tech companies of censorship, then pointed readers to the account of Mr. Taibbi, an iconoclast journalist who shares some of Mr. Musk's disdain for the mainstream news media. <clears throat> You're not mainstream. There's nothing about the New York Times that's mainstream. It may be the legacy media. It may be the old media, as in the decrepit dinosaur media. It is not the mainstream we are not going to claim over here in the right-wing corner that Newsbusters is the mainstream media. But you're on the opposite sides, pallies. So don't call yourself the mainstream. Especially when you're suppressing the other stream. 
This entire controversy is about the extreme lengths that Twitter went to stifle the New York Post and anyone who shared it, including liberals. But this here we go, you know, New York Times media reporter Michael Grinbaum says rank censorship isn't a fact, it's a partisan narrative, as if a partisan narrative doesn't define how the New York Times does business. But this was the paragraph. Mr. Musk and Mr. Taibbi framed the exchanges as evidence of rank censorship and pernicious influence by liberals. Okay. Many others, even some ardent Twitter critics, were less impressed, saying the exchanges merely showed a group of executives earnestly debating how to deal with an unconfirmed news report that was based on information from a stolen laptop. Now, how much of this is wrong? Let's just start with the words stolen laptop. That is false. It was a laptop that Hunter Biden left behind and wouldn't come back and pick up. That's not stolen. And it's no longer an unconfirmed news report because the New York Times confirmed it. How can Michael Grinbaum be such a joker that he can't acknowledge what his own newspaper did? The right-wingers say it's evidence of rank censorship. Yeah, nowhere in this catty little piece is there an admission that the New York Times did their own reporting. They're going to keep pretending they didn't because when they did it, they buried it on page A20 in their print edition on St. Patrick's Day this year. But this is Grinbaum's the same guy who wrote that when President Biden called Fox reporter Steve Ducey a stupid son of a bitch, he called it the hot mic vulgarity where everyone wins. He called it a heartwarming civic moment. This is where the New York Times are, people. Democracy triumphs when you call Peter Ducey a stupid son of a bitch. Now, Grinbaum made sure the left's take on these disclosures was included in his little piece. Quote, Skeptics of Mr. Taibbi seized on what happened to be an orchestrated disclosure. Imagine volunteering to do online PR work for the world's richest man on a Friday night in service of nakedly and cynically right-wing narratives and then pretending you're speaking truth to power, tweeted MSNBC host Mehdi Hassan. Now, is there anything funnier than the New York Times or MSNBC hacks like Mehdi Hassan saying other media outlets do PR work for rich and powerful people? That they do orchestrated disclosures in the service of cynical partisan narratives and pretended speaking truth to power? Mehdi Hassan worked for Al Jazeera, okay? He worked for the Emir of Qatar, a rich and powerful person, where he did orchestrated disclosures for the Muslims. This just shows you how cynical they are, how partisan they are, and how little they understand about the rest of us perceive their so-called news gathering. Now, Curtis Houck has reported this whole series continued into Monday morning. CBS was going to go in instead into a whole big piece about how they're still running around talking about Nick Fuentes 
And this bizarre tweet, I mean, true social post by Trump, where he said basically we have to terminate the parts of the Constitution about the electoral rules that somehow prevented him from being elected. It just shows you how inept he or his tweeters are that they simply cannot say we would like to amend the Constitution's electoral rules because this is precisely what the Democrats want to do. All of the voting rights, quote-unquote voting rights stuff they were pushing over the last two years was about trying to strip away from state governments that they had the rules over elections. That's in the Constitution. So Liz Cheney can get up there and say, see, Trump hates the Constitution. Well, it's obvious that Trump has refused to concede that he was defeated in 2020. That remains. At least Liz Cheney didn't say he said terminate the Constitution. That's not what he said. He just said something dumb that can be misinterpreted. But the fact of the matter is, Usually the people who want electoral rules to stay the same, the starry, decisive people are the conservatives, the originalists. It's the left that wants to abolish the electoral college and abolish the filibuster and try to destroy anything that puts any reach, any, uh, any restriction on their power. Just like they hate Elon Musk taking over Twitter because it's a restriction on their power. They, were, they used to be able to manipulate Twitter into shutting things down, squashing them like a grape right before the election where it was maximum value. This is the story we need to continue on, even if the liberal media don't want to continue on it. They can cover January 6th for two years straight. They can't get on this for a minute and a half. But we're going to do it over here. And that's why you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Come here for the free speech. <laughs>